0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 110.
1: Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Thank you Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: Found in all of the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Fortunate Son. Joining me today on the
2: panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Don? But I thought we were talking about a CCR song.
0: (laughs) Yes, that was one of my first notes. Is this not (laughs) Creedence Claywater Revival? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy.
1: I feel a bad moon rising.
0: (laughs) 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 That is actually appropriate for Star Trek. Folks, if you can, please, we would greatly appreciate it. If, if you're a fan of Star Trek and you have friends who are fans of Star Trek, and even if they're not fans of Star Trek, please share the podcast with them. Uh, you, you will show yourself to be a good friend by helping your friends find this podcast where all the great Star Trek geeks gather and talk about one of our favorite shows. And so uh, please help us grow our community of listeners. As our community grows, it get, the show gets better. That's just a fact. So we are talking about this uh, Enterprise episode called "Fortunate Son." It aired in uh, the first season. We're still in the first season of Enterprise, two thousand one, and it's the ninth episode of the season. So we're 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 getting into the groove of things here. This episode ish, yeah, <laughs> That's as much as we get. Uh, this episode it was directed by LeVar Burton, uh, as we all know, Jordy hmm. LaForge from Next Gen. Uh, I think it's his first Enterprise directing debut, and this is a Merryweather episode. This really focuses on, uh, the the Mayweather. helmsman. Uh, yes, Mayweather. Sorry, I have a hard time. We're not talking about Mayweather, Lewis. <laughs> yes, yes, Mayweather, Lewis, and it, it, discovering the Pacific Ocean. No, Mayweather. He 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 has not got a lot of focus in previous episodes. He's been in a few moments, but this really focuses on his situation and his background.
1: Um, yeah, because he grew up on a spaceship as part of the Boomer uh, movement in yes. the Star Trek universe. So after we get space, after we get warp drive, really slow warp drive, mm-hmm. they start a trading empire. So you have it takes years to get between star systems because of how slow the warp drive is, and so you have people growing up on generational trading ships. And he was one of those, and that's nice in concept, and it's nice to have an episode exploring this concept, and it sets us up. We learn some more about his family background, even though his family is not in this episode. We learn about some family conflicts that are going to be the basis for a second season episode, which also focuses on boomer culture, where we do get to meet his family. So it kind of sets up for that, but um, I, it's still... Mayweather is just a really bland character at the end yes. of all this.
2: Well, you know, I, as, I, I like yeah. this episode because we do get to see a little bit more of the civilian side, you know, because so yep. much of Star Trek, of course, is the, the Starfleet, quote unquote, military, because, of course, Starfleet's not a military. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, we get to see more of the civilian side. What What is civilian? You know, we hear about civilian transports all the time, but we actually get to see a little bit of that culture, if you will. Right, right.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate, because Anthony Montgomery, who plays Mayweather, tra- Travis, it just comes across, he just comes across as really kind of forcing it. Like, I don't know if it's just he doesn't have great lines, or he just isn't a very good actor at this point, but he just, it doesn't come across as really believable, this character.
1: Yeah, he's like the boy next door, if you know yeah. what I mean. I mean, he's just so, he's just so bright, and it happy and young friendly and, and, and young and innocent and all that stuff and it it's it, he he doesn't feel like a fully rounded person it's kind of in a way he kind of reminds me of Jody Whittaker's doctor i mean job number 1 for Jody Whittaker was be nice you know be yeah. be friendly and likable and she achieved that and that's all and it and mayweather feels to me like the same kind of character he's achieving nice and friendly And that's all.
0: Yeah, it's a lot like in in my sense, like Wesley, like just he's just kind of there, and he's he and he just kind of is not much more than a a bunch of tropes all bundled together as a character.
1: Although boy genius is not one of uh not one of Mayweather's (laughs) tropes, (laughs) and he he doesn't have the annoyance
2: factor that Wesley Crusher does. That's true. You know, if it wasn't for this episode, I would almost said that that. Meweather's character was meant to be just kind of a filler character. You got to have somebody yeah. flying the ship.
0: You know, right, let's just right. put
2: this guy in there. And, and
0: we've had a couple episodes where he's had some bigger moments, like the one where they land on the planet and mm-hmm. they all go crazy. But yeah. Yeah, but other but, than that.
1: So, but compare him to characters who are even more filler characters than he was from the original series Sulu and Chekhov. You know, neither one of them started out with, oh, this is a key member of our core ensemble that we're going to develop over time, which is what Mayweather did start out as. But both Sulu and Chekhov, uh, who were originally, you know, largely kind of background filler characters, they both have more personality
2: than Mayweather. Well, Chekhov was was even there for the first season.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. so let's talk about this episode. We we start on a uh, deep space freighter uh, in the uh, T's. The open it's uh the freighter's called Fortunate, So this is where we get the the episode title. Um uh, we have two guys throwing a uh, football through low G in a in a big open hold. Um one is the captain obviously and uh, the other one turns out to be the first officer. Uh and they 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 have some banter and then they're ta- attacked by a Nosakin ship. And the Nosakin's uh We've seen the Noskins before in Next Generation. Uh, they'll uh, a Noskin is responsible for uh, Captain Picard's artificial heart. That's I think that's Your when we first see them. Dom
1: Jot. <laughs> yes,
0: at least <laughs> these Noskins are a little more uh, uh, Articulate. have a little more facility with yes with the English. So <laughs> oh. yeah.
1: I, I like um, how so the Noskins are a kind of minor villain from next yeah. gen they'll be recognizable to the audience because they're minor it's low stakes but they fit naturally into this uh because yes. they're familiar and people are going to naturally be suspicious of the nosicans but they do upgrade the makeup the makeup's a little more realistic and mm-hmm. also the uh they can speak more clearly which is which is good so i thought this was a good use of nosicans
0: yeah the Noskans always remind me of the Predator alien from the you know the Schwarzenegger movie. They have that yeah. that look on their face. Um, so and which I think might be deliberate because it really it, the audience immediately gets a a idea of these are bad guys sort of. They
1: they look kind of like lions. They're, if you ignore their mouth, they look kind yeah. of like lions, but or humanoid lions. But then they have this weird like four tusk mouth thing or four yeah. Sp- spiky mouth thing
0: yes uh so that so that is our teaser open and then we go to um after the the credits we have uh, archer being awakened by a message from admiral Forrest back on earth (laughs) to to tell him the scans from that comet were just
1: incredible and he's referring to the (laughs) comet that we we reviewed a couple of episodes ago and it's like Oh yeah, the one that the the thing that our solar system has literally trillions of, <laughs> and you were so impressed by the scans of one in another solar system. Those scans were
0: just awesome. You're right. So uh, the the, uh, the ostensible reason for the uh, for the call is also that uh, they are the closest uh, starfleet vessel to fortunate. They'll have to turn around and head back to to be there in a day and a half. Because the next closest one is weeks away, uh, and then we have this, um, and that's
1: good. That yeah. having having the enterprise, if you've got the fastest warp drive by a lot, then you would get yanked off of what you're doing to go deal with some emergency somewhere.
0: Right, right, right. And and then we have a bunch of exposition. Uh, the fortunate is a Y class freighter with a crew complement of twenty three, which is actually an important number as we go through. It will will it be Y twenty three is an important number. Uh, with a max speed of warp 1.8 uh Travis tells us that he grew up on a J class freighter um, and he remarks that as slow as they are people tend to have babies on board which is also a bit of a going to help misdirect what where things are going as they mm-hmm. show up at the fortunate um it reminds me a lot of uh, as you mentioned before the age of sail you know when when right. travel around the world to the new world into the uh, into the uh, the indies as they called it Took months or yep. even years of, of those journeys, as we are in the early stages of spa- of intergalactic space exploration and, as humans. That's kind of what the feel they're trying to give to us is well, the and, age of sail.
2: And I also kind of think of like some of the settlement of the West. You know, the Western United States. You think Oregon Trail, of course. Those of us of, you know are uh, of our age kind of remember Oregon Trail on the Apple too. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we played it at school. But right, you know, it took months to travel from someplace like New York City to San Francisco. It wasn't, right. you know, when the railroad came in, it was a huge thing because you could do it in a week instead the of, The railroad you know, was yeah. the
0: Warp 5 engine. You know, it really <laughs> was. And
2: before that, you were moving on these slow wagon
1: trains in danger exactly. of being attacked by Nausicaans at any time.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, when the Enterprise arrives, they find the fortunate badly damaged and most systems are down. They they do, They aren't able to respond to hails. And to Paul reads twenty four bio signs, which because Mary mother recently just said, "Oh, they have babies on board, so maybe that twenty three could have a couple extras that's when what gives us the thought that maybe there's a, a, a new baby on board
1: so this episode, and I don 't know why it hasn't struck me in quite this way before, but how are how do how do detecting life signs work? I mean <laughs> there's a hard vacuum. Between you and that ship, and there's layers of metal there, you've got to be detecting you're either, either these are passive scans and you're picking up on something human bodies are transmitting, or these are active scans and you're reflecting something off living human bodies that dead human bodies don't emit or that reflect in a different way. it's like, what, what? there's nothing electromagnetic that's going to be doing that. Not over a hard vacuum with layers of metal in between you. What <laughs> just, exactly, just, what, 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 how does this work?
2: Just, just, just remember this, these are Star Trek sensors, you know, the magical sensors yeah. that operate on the principle of plot. Yes, I know. Well, and it, over, it the even, co- over
0: light years. Yeah. yeah.
2: It even specifies
1: in the original series Bible that sensors just work and we never go into how they work, but they
2: always work. And it's like, yep. Right. They always work until what? they don't.
0: Yeah, this makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is one of the tropes of in all science fiction is that we have sensors that can detect life. And if you don't do that, people get all kind of you know, squirrely about the fact that why don't you just do, do life science detection? I would love to see sci-fi that, that eschews that, and then that becomes a limitation that makes a more interesting yeah. plot. I mean, you yeah. c- we can
2: understand, you know, like long-range sensors and things like that. We, you know, just think of the, yeah. the, cor- the corollary with, with sonar and radar. I mean, we, we sure. can understand that. But how can they read that, oh, yes, the, the atmosphere in the ship is exactly 84.5% nitrogen and 10%, you know, it's like, how right. do you know that? Right. Well, with- Well, I actually, I could rationale that easier than life
1: signs because they could have a window somewhere and you could do a spectrographic analysis. Of the light coming through the window and find out what the yeah. atmosphere is. But but life science, that's just if you can't see people moving around in there, how do you know that there's anyone alive over there? Heat signatures. That's right. You're reading heat signatures yeah. through the vacuum. Through the metal <laughs> and the hard vacuum. Yep. yep. And and the all of the technology on the ship that has waste heat. Yes. That's
0: exactly what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> 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 and one's a Vulcan. So anyway, <laughs> cuz that's gets a whole other thing. <laughs> anyway, uh so the uh Archer takes uh, a few people over uh Malcolm the the security guy, it takes Merriweather, because he's a boomer and Dr. Flox. They go over to the ship to see what's going on uh, in the shuttle and they they get greeted at the hatch by the first officer and some others who say, "Nope, we're fine. No, nothing to see here. Uh you can just go on your way," like even though our ship is basically totally out of commission, so Archer insists he's like, "We're here. Let, let let us help you," and which is only logical and very suspicious that you would refuse any help.
1: Although he, they both kind of, and we're presenting it in somewhat starker terms than they do on the show. The right, it's it, it, the the first officer Ryan. I mean, the captain is, you know, is injured. injured. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, so Ryan's in charge and he doesn't like refuse help, but he's not eager for it either. And it's clearly suspicious, but not so suspicious that it prompts a dramatic, let's search your ship from stem to stern reaction on the right. part of Archer.
0: Right. Well, it, it's right. presented
2: more of, of the, you know, they're independent. They they live their life, you know, between star systems. There's no one else out there. So they got to take care of it themselves. And that's really the way they present it. Of no, no, we're just used to doing it ourselves. We'll we'll get it taken care of. We're yeah. fine. Don't don't worry about yeah. us. You go, you go. Do your exploration. We're, we'll we'll be fine.
0: And because Flocks hears that the captain is injured, he it's his insistence that like, look, I'm a physician. You only have a medic on board. Let me see the at least. Let me take you know a look at the captain to make sure I can help him. It would be uh, unconscionable for me to leave without at least seeing him. And that's one thing objection they can't. Uh, Refuse, you know, when uh, overcome. So uh, now, what we find out is that they've captured they've captured Naskin in the last raid, and they're interrogating him to get some kind of codes out of.
1: Him. Yeah.
0: So meanwhile, they- while they're the Enterprise is helping repair the ship, this Ryan, the executive officer of the Fortunate, he's on board the Enterprise, and he and Travis are bonding, and they talk about the transporter as a magical new device that they would never use. And uh, Ryan asks Travis, you know, so why'd you leave your family ship? And and there's an interesting—I I, I mentioned this before, but in this partic- scene in particular, Meriwether reminds me of a slightly more mature Wesley Crusher. You know, just the 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 earnestness which with he speaks hmm. here. It, there's a—it's very sort of like Wesley always had this way about him where he was like very eager, and Travis kind of comes across as very eager and you know open.
1: He is interested in using the transporter, for example.
0: Yes, right. Yes, uh, Travis says uh, he left his, his ship, his family ship, because he needed to find out where he belonged, and was pretty sure it wasn't on a boring freighter run.
1: And Ryan is really family ship leave shaming him about that.
0: Yes, yes, he he kind of comes back at him with with sort of a, a really sharp uh, response. Well, he says,
1: "Why did you abandon your family?"
0: Right, right, abandon. Um, they uh, they talk about how the these freighters, um, they do five-year freight runs, which I, I can, I'm i trying to imagine what, what freight is so valuable that waiting five years to get it. Uh, I guess dilithium is the one thing that they yeah. talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they
1: mentioned that. So imagine coronavirus
0: lockdown for five years
1: and no Amazon. <laughs>
0: right. Ooh, no thanks. <laughs> and uh, they said even if the Warp 3 engine would cut those down to six months, so the Warp 5 engine must You know that's how enterprise is out so far so quickly. It's a fascinating idea that that this technology would leap ships ahead like that. You know, it we we've never had. I'm trying to think of where we've had technological leaps like that. Maybe a flight uh, over ships crossing the transatlantic or something like that. Mm -hmm. How that would had a leapfrog. Anyway, they have lunch in the mess hall, and Ryan at this point reveals he was survivor of some disaster on a ship called. His family ship was called the North Star. Which, Maria Weather's reaction is he immediately recognized it, and it was a bad thing. But we don't get any details about it. Just yeah. that um, it was so bad that he ended up, Ryan ended up having to, to to join another ship. So,
1: we also get in this scene some data about culture on the Enterprise because they have this amazing chef who's like the best in Starfleet that the captain had to pull strings to get, and this is an Mm -hmm. unseen character that we never see, except we see his legs in uh, the catwalk episode. right? But we hear about Chef, and it makes sense. If you're on this remote mission, you're not coming back for a long time, and you're on the prestige flagship of the fleet, you'd get the best Chef. But <laughs> oh, yeah. he's still he's still having to work with reconstituted elements. And Travis says they don't have the meatloaf quite right yet. But Ryan is eating a huge, thick steak and potatoes. And true to form on television, they both eat like two bites and then exactly. the, the meal is over.
0: Yes. What a waste. I mean, this is steak out of the middle of nowhere. This guy hasn't had steak in in months, and he's got it, not going to finish the steak. I, I, I wanted him to like kind of come back, pick up the plate, and walk out with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what I should have done. Yeah. <laughs> so Travis kind of pitches to Ryan that he could join Starfleet and become a crew on a future NX class ship like Enterprise because they're going to need all kinds of great crewmen. And Ryan, this is when Ryan accuses Travis of abandoning his family. And uh, if if Starfleet gets all the good crew members, wh- who will be left to run the Boomers and all that sort of stuff? So um, they they end up. Yeah, he ends up leaving. I, I, the, actually, the, we the the were cloud. thinking
1: about replacing you with robots. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Cause, cause, <you> don't, yeah. <laughs> well, ant. robots can't torture Nosikins for shield codes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back on the fortunate, T'Pol working on some repairs, and she first she notices that power's being rerouted from internal sensors to weapons. Which uh, the other guy says, "Well, that's because we needed it during the battle," and she says, "Well, you don't need it now." So she suggests that they undo that. They're obviously rerouting power from internal sensors so that it can't be used to show that there's an Oscar on board. And so this crew member very nervously tells her not to.
1: Meanwhile, some children are playing hide and seek, which is really nice. That's a realistic yep. touch. If you had kids on a starship, they would play hide and seek. Right. And uh, and I like how there's a. T'Pol discovers a little girl hiding behind a, a, a grill vent, uh, or a vent grill, and the... Boys she's playing with come charging through and asking where she is. And, like, the, the no, human no, have crewman, you seen Nadine? Well, yeah. I, no, 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 there's two parts oh. to it. They come charging through, oh. looking for, and the human crewman who's there just lies. And then they come up to Tapal, who's standing right next to the vent where the girl is. She's just seen the girl. And, you know, how is Tapal going to deal with this? And they say, Have you seen Nadine? And she she turns to them and says, Truthfully, I do not know which child is named Nadine. And so she avoids lying, but also avoids giving the girl away. <laughs> yes. And the girl comes out and says, Thanks, and she says, I told them the truth. I don't know which child is named Nadine. But she could have inferred <laughs> it from context with that Vulcan right. logic of hers.
0: <laughs> right. So as as this scene ends, we we do see Tapal looking a bit um suspicious. And she contacts Archer to, to to kind of give him uh, her her suspicions about something going on, and that brings us to a, a, a now where uh, Archer is on on the Enterprise. Uh, repairs are complete. Ryan comes to his quarters and talks from there, and this is where he confronts Ryan about the Nausicaan on board. He like I know I know you got him, and uh, Ryan says, uh, "You know, hey, what I'm doing with him is my business." Starfleet doesn't have any jurisdiction about what goes on 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 board my ship. I'm wondering, really, the uh, wh- wh- what is the legal jurisdiction over boomers in space? Because and and yeah, I'm thinking.
1: Well, so there's a couple things. One of them is this is kind of what the way Ryan explains the situation about the Noskin prisoner is basically in terms of frontier justice. Yeah, uh, they attacked us, and so we're using him, I guess, as protection you know, or something like that. Now, that's not actually what they're using him for. But he, because he doesn't tell about trying to get codes and frequencies out of this guy. But he 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 makes a convincing frontier justice case about, look, we're out here on our own. We have to defend ourselves and this is how we're doing it. And they attacked us and things like that. And that makes some sense in terms of who has jurisdiction. I'm thinking that Archer could, there's probably something some legal precedent or regulation that would allow archer to take control of the situation given interstellar diplomatic stuff Mm -hmm. um you know because you have if you're having conflicts between humans and non-humans that would seem to fall under starfleet's purview yeah i mean i don't i presumably the model would be the law of the seas you know if you have if you If you think if you have an American military ship show up and there's a civilian ship engaged in conflict with an American civilian ship engaged in conflicts with, say, a Chinese ship, you'd think the military ship would have some kind of jurisdiction. But Archer's solution is to say, no, but I do have uh, jurisdiction over all the parts we just installed in your ship, so let's uninstall them.
0: Right. Yeah it it it's a sort of analogous to like Somali pirates if you have an American flag vessel uh and they've they were attacked by Somali pirates with which was a big problem for for years and they took one of the Somali pirates as prisoner if an American warship shows up and realizes they've got that pirate there they yeah. they, they have jurisdiction they could take that guy yeah. off <laughs> they, yeah. you, they can't they, they they don't have to let the American crew hold him and torture him <laughs> so um so they do let so because of Archer's threat to take all the parts and equipment, uh, Ryan ostensibly gives in and, and, and takes him over to the freighter and brings him into the hold and says, he's over there. Go go see him. Yeah, <laughs> of course, they fall for
2: <laughs> it.
1: And, and this is, and then Ryan executes his his idea of how to deal with the situation, which is. Get in a gunfight with with the captain of this much faster <laughs> and more powerful Starfleet vessel, right in your cargo hold. Then jettison the cargo pod into space with the captain aboard and leave it.
0: Oh, and poke a and, hole in the and, in and the poke side a of hole
1: it. in it. Yeah, and and this is going to end well for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how is this going to end well for you?
0: Right. They, well, did they shoot at the Enterprise before they they warp away? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, is the Enterprise just going to go? well, This seems too much trouble. We're just going to go go in yeah. on on our merry way and leave them to be. <laughs> I don't I, think so. I I do like
1: that as they um as as they're running after they shoot shoot at the Enterprise. The Enterprise fires a torpedo at them, and we see the torpedo heading towards them, and then they go to warp and outrun the torpedo. Right. And I like that. Yeah. But yeah but this is just the dumbest plan ever <laughs> on ryan's part there's just no way this is going to end as a win for him
2: well and, and I, I i i'm hoping it wasn't just bad writing which of course this is enterprise this is bad writing but yeah. <laughs> um it could also be just it's showing how unstable he is he's just not thinking right he, he's so bent on getting revenge from the nausickens he's just not Thinking straight, and he's not. And thinking- the other crew members to call him on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: He should be relieved of command. He should have been before he. As soon as he said to his second officer, I guess, here's 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 my plan. The second officers should have said, "You are relieved of command. This is <laughs> yeah. clearly never going to work. We're just going to wait two days until the captain's up and about again."
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they they do. Coincidentally, very inconveniently for Enterprise, you know, damage the long range sensors. Like if those weren't damaged in this exchange, uh they they totally would have been caught right away. But, yeah. But it the Enterprise well, has to fix them.
1: Fort fortunately, Mayweather then says, Oh, well, we know they're after the Nosicons, so we just need to find the Nosicans to find them, and then they don't follow up on that. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> well, they do, just
1: not the way they expected. Yeah. Right.
0: So There's no Rob-
1: Nosican tracing in this. No.
0: Yes. So uh Ryan manages to beat the uh the Nausicaan ship's shield frequencies out of him we think because torture as we know is an unreliable form of interrogation yeah. uh and then discusses with the other crew member about killing the Noskian like facing him.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, and by, think about how I mean if you're the Noskian prisoner they want you to give them some codes and some frequencies and even if you know the right codes and frequencies if you lie to them and just make up some codes and frequencies. They are going to yep. take you to your people so they can use the codes and frequencies. <laughs> exactly. And they're probably going to keep you alive so at least that long so they can may they can use you as leverage if things go badly. So just lie to them and that'll give your people the advantage when they take you to them. Exactly. Right.
0: Although like I said Ryan was talking about spacing him so maybe he was that, that that's a but that's a risk he's got to take you What's yeah. the alternative to give right. the actual you're, codes?
2: Well, and, and yeah. if, if this guy's concerned about not giving out those codes, he's like, fine, space me. Right, right. You know, Do it. Then you're even further behind. You just killed a guy and you don't have your codes. So you're out of luck right. either way.
0: So, um, meanwhile, Travis and, uh, and, and Tucker are in the engine room of the enterprise talking about how times have changed. And, and Tucker says, you know, he says at this point that Ryan the exo of the fortunate needs to understand that he can't be a law unto himself on his ship anymore. And this is kind of, what we were talking about before, you know, it's no longer a frontier as it was the, you know, everyone is coming every the, with warp five ships and the warp three ships. This is no longer the the wild west of space. You've got, you know, you've got to change with the times. Uh, and uh, that gives Travis a little uh, b- bug in his ear and a little thing to think about. And he goes to talk to Archer and, and basically questions his orders and says, maybe Ryan's right that it, isn't any of their business, and that they should let him take care of himself. So at this point, he's talking from his boomer background, his his uh, his lingering loyalties to people like himself as he grew up. Uh, the the folks of the fortunate,
1: and so Archer comes back with, "Okay, fine. What happened?" And he, Archer does. It's nicely written in that Mayweather, you know, says, "I think maybe we're not handling this the right way." First, he asks permission to speak freely. Yes. And Archer gives it to him and says I want your your perspective as a boomer. And that's nice because it does show Archer trying to understand the situation. He's letting his crewman bring his the benefit is of his experience. Mayweather says I think maybe we're not handling this the right way. Maybe it is none of our business. And Archer's rejoinder is well then what happens to the Nosicans if we let them just have their revenge? And then we get a little preachy with just because someone isn't born on earth doesn't make him less human. Right. And of course, but these are Nausicaans, Captain, they're not human, (laughs) Um, which is a point Mayweather doesn't raise. But instead he's like, oh, shucks, Captain, now you've gone and scored on me because I wasn't born on earth and that doesn't make me less human. So obviously you're right. And it's like the writing, the writing just took a ding there.
0: Well I thought not it's not that the Gnosticans should be treated more humanely uh, because of their because they're human, quote unquote. I think what he was saying was that, that human beings have a code of conduct, or what we might yep. call a natural law of morality, uh, in us that governs us no matter whether we're on earth or off earth, no right. matter how far out we go. And so they have to Ryan has to live according to that code of conduct, right?
2: That little construct about, you know, just because you were born off Earth doesn't make you less human. It was confusing because they conflated, you know, the, how to uh, treat the Noskins. And I had to think about it for a couple of couple of seconds where, no, they they were talking about the mm. humans who were born off Earth are not less human. It wasn't talking about the right. Noskins. But it was no. such a confusing construct when I w- was watching the episode. Yeah. I, I, I kind of struggled with a couple of seconds. Are they saying that Noskins are human? No, they're not. It just, it really was not, it was not written well. That was not a good line at all.
1: Right. Yeah, I took it the other way. I think it's I think it's ambiguous. Which is a flaw. I, I think That's, it was just it was just
2: written badly. It was right, yeah. right, they, they got right. across I, what they were trying to say, just not well.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh at this point, so Travis is uh you know, he has no more of, of uh Archer's orders to question. Uh, Archer had good humor about it, of course. Uh but uh the Fortunate does catch up with the Nosakin. Um it runs and they chase it into a into an asteroid field.
1: Oh, and the Nausicaan ship is like a sitting duck, but it's in a, they're going into an asteroid field. It's like, there's going to be Nausicaans on the other side of that.
0: and It's an ambush! This, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pirate's nest, and uh, Ryan has gone all Ahab, and the white whale is running, and he refuses to back off, which puts the whole ship in danger so he can get his revenge. I mean, he's basically I, I- Ahab.
1: I want to see like Ryan strapped to the outside of his ship, and as it's rolling, he's <laughs> beckoning with his arm, summoning everyone else to their doom. <laughs> that's, that's from Moby Dick.
0: Yes. So uh, they they shoot at the Noskin ship, and surprise, surprise, the frequencies don't work. You mean the prisoner lied under torture? Oh my goodness! <laughs> so the uh, the tables are turned, and uh, the Noskins board the freighter, and. We now have a running battle on the ship, and Archer, now the Enterprise has shown up, and Archer confronts the Noskin captain over the comm system, threatening him with the more powerful Enterprise, like you won't find the Enterprise to be quite easy pickings as much as that freighter. So he gets him to agree to back off, if only Ryan will turn over his prisoner. So Archer lets Travis talk to Ryan, although I have to say, Throughout this, Travis has been in, very insubordinate. He He'll, like
2: uh, yeah speaks up when the, notes.
0: Yeah, yeah speaks up when the archers talking to the Noskin captain. Like interjects himself and stuff. Like, dude, if you can't keep control of your tipper on the bridge, we'll find someone who can. But yeah, and then he he pipes up when Ryan is on as well. It it it's it, it's uh yeah, it's not not a good look for for uh, Travis. But in any case, Ryan ends up telling him that you know this isn't some noble cause.
1: Yeah. Having said that Mayweather is very insubordinate and butting into the captain's conversation in this scene, it, in in all fairness, Starfleet is just shot through with rank insubordination. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, you know, we see it all the stinking time. They have very lax discipline on these ships.
0: That's true. This is true. So uh, for the sake of dr- drama, they do it, I guess. But um, yeah, so. Uh, Travis, I miss, I miss. Travis tells Ryan that you know you think you you claim that this is some noble cause to protect freighters from Nausikains, but really, is this is just about pure revenge for you, just your and your monomaniacal revenge uh, for what happened to the North Star and what's going on now, and that's all it's really about. Meanwhile, the uh, Nausikains are shooting at Enterprise, while her helmsman is wandering about the bridge talking to Ryan, like maybe you should get someone sitting at the helm running the sh- <laughs> you piloting the ship while you're in battle uh but that's a whole other thing in any case Ryan finally lets the Nausicaan go he he sees the error of his ways and then we we finish up with the 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 captain of the fortunate waking up in the infirmary who tells Archer that he's going to reduce Ryan in rank to uh, able crewman which is the one of the lowest ranks and uh but he won't let Archer take him back to earth to, to you know to out of presumably face justice or what, uh, he says, we take care of our own out here, plus it would leave me a man short. So we get that clear sense of this frontier sort of way of living.
1: Yeah. He also says it's going to take quite that Ryan's new duties as an able crewman are going to be like purging hydraulic pumps and stuff. And so it won't be pleasant and it's going to take him a while to earn his way back up to being first officer again. And I'm going. Ryan's judgment is demonstrably unstable. This man should never have been first officer <laughs> in the first place, and right. he should never be first officer again. Uh, yes. <laughs> attacking the Enterprise is was just that was the nail in that coffin. Right, but it uh, finally we have a reason for the structure of this episode because up to now the fact that that Captain Keen has been out of commission has played zero role in the plot. I mean, there's been no reason for that. This whole episode up to this point could have played exactly the same way if there was no Captain Keen and Ryan was the captain. And in some ways, that would make more sense if he's just a captain who's gone crazy as opposed to a first officer who has someone above him that should be looking for signs of craziness. But now that the captain is up to... Deal with Ryan after the fact. We have some kind of a reason why that justifies Keen even being in this episode,
0: right? I do like Keen in this in this scene. I I, I think he he has a he he sort of uh, embodies this frontier spirit and in, in in the in the good way. Like he talks about how you know they, they discuss yeah. how times are changing. He's going to have to buy a warp three engine for the ship because that's just economics is going to dictate it. But uh, you know, some of us like being out here alone in in on the on the uh on the edge and you know we're, giving us a chance to prove ourselves we're
2: called introverts <laughs> well
0: right right well also a bit type a yeah
2: as someone who lives out in these territories uh we like this out here <laughs>
0: <laughs> far away we can prove yourself against you know buffalo and uh yeah. storms and stuff uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, they're not, but you know, times are changing. And they're not gonna be able to go it alone and act as if, uh, you know, all of space belongs just to them. Everyone is coming, and so well, by the time we reach next gen era, it's gonna be much more settled and that, all that sort of thing. Well, so, it's
2: it, and you get you get the kind of the captain showing the wisdom of age, you know, where yes, he 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 recognizes as much as he enjoys his lifestyle that it is gonna change, but also just the moderation that's necessary as a leader. You know,
0: Right, right. Yeah, he comes across as wise and uh, knowing, you know, how to deal with people even like Ryan and how to keep them, although he, his judgment is suspect because Ryan got to first officer in the first place. <laughs> mm. So any, uh, any last notes, Father Corey? Nothing here. Jimmy?
1: So I thought this episode was a great argument for robotic cargo ships, mm-hmm. like we are starting to have here on Earth right now, crossing the oceans. Right. Yep. Yep. Who is the fortunate son?
0: <laughs> Travis, uh, what is, Ryan. What is, Travis, <laughs>
1: we don't meet his family in this episode. Ryan right. is not a son of Captain Keen. That would actually make more sense if he was like well, Keane's firstborn. And that's how well, he got to be first officer, despite his flaws.
0: Freighter crews are like family, they say. So he's uh, sort know, of a son in that sense. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's stretch. It's it Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not clearly it, it's. There's not a clear reason for
0: it. Someone liked the title. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I,
2: I think it's probably pretty tongue-in-cheek, if nothing else. Yeah,
1: it would have been better if they had spelled it "Sun," Fortunate Sun, and that was the name of the ship, the Fortunate yeah. Sun.
2: That would be kind of cool, actually. Which yeah. would be a
1: good name for a trading vessel that goes to other star systems.
2: That's
0: true. True. They uh, they the working title for this episode, by the way, the, when they were producing it before they filmed it was called untitled boomer story. So <laughs> you, you could tell exactly where they were going that, with this. Frankly, that would have been more descriptive. More a... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. A little boomer story. The boomer one, the one, the one where they meet the boomers. We're just go full friends episode title on it. The one where they meet the boomers.
2: Instead of a Christmas story, a boomer story.
0: Well, and, and as you said, Jimmy, this, this one would have made more sense as the title of the one where we meet Travis's family. Yeah, Uh, And in fact, before I watched this for this week, I thought, in my mind, I thought this was going to be the one where we meet Travis's family. I was a little confused at first.
1: I thought so as well, based on the title.
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny. Uh, All right. So I think that about does it for us. Uh, we, We do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Cameron C., Paul J., Jamie N., Michael L., and Tong G., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Fortunate Son? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Star Trek Discovery episode, Sivis Pachem Parabellum. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Akin, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, warp 1.8 works just fine for us. Any faster, and there'd be no time to enjoy the trip. A.K.A. I Can't Drive
2: 65.